0: Top Hill Recording Podcast, episode 26, back again tonight. What's going on, Neil?
1: What's up, buddy? How you doing tonight?
0: I'm excited tonight. This is going to be a very interesting conversation.
1: Oh, I've been ready for this. I've been waiting for this one.
0: We have Melissa Bolea Rowe. Did I say your name right, Melissa? You
2: said it right. I'm hey. super impressed. <laughs>
1: well done,
0: man. <laughs> With Rhyme Partners.
2: Rhyme Partners, right, And on uh, Music Row in Nashville, Tennessee.
0: Yeah, it looks like you guys are into just about anything music, so this ought to be a very interesting conversation.
2: Yeah, we are. Just about any way we can sell a song, we do it.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That is awesome.
0: And I know you've been on the the go, Melissa, but we usually have a, a bourbon while we're talking to our guests, so we have... Who, Henry McKenna, ten year old tonight.
1: Yeah, yeah, he brought out the good stuff for you,
0: Melissa.
3: <laughs> oh, I'm
2: hard. Well, you know, as I was uh running a few minutes jumping on this podcast with you guys, I thought I'm gonna be responsible for that extra shot they're gonna take. <laughs>
0: That's right. <laughs> and this one's uh this bourbon's getting hard to find, Neil. Henry McKenna, ten year old.
1: It's the first time I've ever had it and it is Awesome. Yeah, it's really <laughs> so good. good.
0: It's one I always kept on the bar. And then now, you know, you need to pick it up if you see it because it's not in the liquor stores very often. So cheers. And what's the
2: name of that one again?
0: Henry McKenna, 10 year old.
1: Yeah, it's a single barrel, uh, barreled in bond, right? Is that what you said? Bottled in bond. Or bottled in bond, which is, I I think what you said, it has to be 100 proof. And there's some other things that, but it is really good. And scary good, Melissa. I mean, this, this may be, uh,
2: I know, that's a little unfair that you guys do that. warning. <laughs>
3: wish
1: you were here with us. Yeah, we certainly do. You kind of mentioned you are—you guys are stationed in Music Row, but where, where are you joining us from currently?
2: So I have an office in Florida, in California, and Nashville. I'm mostly in Nashville, Tennessee, um, just there the last four or five weeks, and then hop down to Florida for a week and then go back to Nashville, but... Currently speaking to you from my office in Florida.
1: Well, thanks for joining us from Florida. I'm kind of jealous, but you know.
2: <laughs> well, don't be right at this yeah. moment. Yeah, that's what I'm have saying. Weather and some lightning storms, and it's, it's, I forgot that about Florida. It's a little scary that way.
1: I don't want to be in Florida right now, <laughs> but but I love Florida. I love it. Nothing better than a beach. That's one of my. Zen places is a beach with oh, just yeah. a drink and, and no distractions. I don't think that's what you're doing. <laughs> so I don't well, know if you'd you know
2: enjoy. What, well, I'm not going to lie to you then, okay? I was trying to not make y'all feel bad, but Uh-oh. my house is a block off the beach and it, is,
3: <laughs>
2: it oh. is really nice. I'm over in St. Augustine, Florida, and St. Augustine is known to be one of the um, oldest cities in the United States. Um, so there's a lot of beautiful history in Old Town and a lot of everything here is called ancient city this, ancient city that. And so there's a lot of history here. It's it's a beautiful place. You know, downtown, all the back streets and everything look like, uh, look like Europe, you know, basically with the cobblestone and stuff and a lot of shops. And then you come just over what's called the Bridge of Lions to the beachside, and that's where my home and my office is when I'm here. Because I'm originally from Florida. Okay. I'm from Tampa Bay, but ended up you know, buying a place here.
1: Sounds like a great place. Yeah, it doesn't sound terrible <laughs> at all.
2: No, it's not. And most days are very sunny, and it's very quick <laughs> to walk over to the beach, just walk out your door, and I'm not going to lie, it's wonderful. Oh, uh,
1: <laughs> Yeah. I can imagine some songs came from that place. I can just imagine Yeah, it's
2: definitely a really a really fun song that I wrote not too long ago called Natural High. Just kinda came from just hanging out here and some of the little um, taco shops on the corner that are lined up with, you know, people with tans and surfboards and stuff. And so one day I just pulled out my guitar and started writing. But another thing that's interesting here in Saint Augustine is they've got an amazing music community. And so um, I've just started to put together some shows out here on the beach. Of course, with COVID, everything is pushed back to later dates. But it's nice to jump right into the music community here and crazy amount of talent. It's just, you know, not really something I was expecting whenever we bought this house here. I was so excited to get back to Florida. And a lot of what I do, thankfully, I can work virtually, whether I'm you know, licensing a song or something like that. And a large part of what I do, I do need to be in Nashville for it. Um, But with all this COVID, it has allowed me to work a little bit more remote because there's just a lot of shows and meetings and things that are going virtual versus in person. Um, But yeah, so it was a nice surprise to find the music community here. It was kind of effortless. I jumped right into the um, music festival um, right when when I bought a place here. And the connection between St. Augustine and Nashville and and the writers, it was just, it was surprising. Hmm. So I'm excited that when I'm here, I do a lot of Rhyme Partners business, of course, but I'm also doing a lot in the music scene here now, too.
1: Awesome.
2: So what do you guys want to know?
0: Well, I wanted to start a little bit. We'll start just uh, I was why gonna, don't you tell I was, us? I
1: was going to ask how I submit myself for a gig on the beach in St. Augustine, Florida. But <laughs> we'll, we'll start with what Brad was going to ask you. Go ahead, Brad.
2: Uh, I can fill you in on that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> why
0: don't you give us a little of uh, of your history, your background with music?
2: Um. Well, I wonder. So, how far back do we want to go?
1: To All the, the beginning to the beginning where what what was your uh, first real memory of music being something that was like uh, just important to you even if it was a childhood memory of singing in church or something like that uh, go as far back as you remember where you knew that music was going to be uh something that changed your life
2: Well I knew how much it impacted me because I remember I have a memory of being just you know a toddler like Three years old at least and sitting um, in the back seat of my mom's car and driving over we have um, in Florida some of the nicest most beautiful bridges there's the sunshine skyway and anyway the bridge is over to most of the gulf um, beaches and it was I don't know if you guys remember this song but it, um, sailing
3: Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Christopher Christopher Cross. Yeah. Cross.
2: <laughs> well, Christopher Cross. So I don't let me forget uh, a connected story about the Bluebird Cafe with Christopher Cross because uh, Bluebird. um I was just mesmerized and I was sitting in the back seat and sailing was on the radio. Chris, I'm three years old so I'm not really able to understand. Lyrics, But I started to cry and my mom turned around and she asked me if I was okay and she asked me what was wrong and I just couldn't talk and I, it just chokes me up now and I said, this song is so beautiful. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so
0: let me ask you this, did your mom sing that to you all the time from that point on to make you cry?
2: <laughs> no, you know, I think my brother and sister teased me about it after that. The reason so, uh, I
0: asked that, that was uh, apparently... I was a lot like you and there were certain songs that would make me cry. So my family entertained themselves by singing those songs to me. Hey, wait, watch this. We can make Brad cry. And they would sing Not those exactly. songs. To me.
2: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I remember my brother and sister it was so funny. I remember years later there was that song. Um, I can't remember if it's, um, I, I Touch myself or something like that. In. My little sister used to like it a lot and she'd sing it. And then my brother would just brutalize her and make fun of her for that. But it's funny how we have those memories. And it's funny how our siblings can still, you know, tease us even over music. I bet a lot of people have stories like that.
1: All right. I got one new kids on the block. Please don't go girl. (laughs) It was, the one, it was the one that I was singing. I think that was about you the time my voice. You got
2: crying for that. You were yeah. in trouble.
1: Well, it wasn't crying. It was just the, the, the <laughs> first time I ever uh, got made fun of for singing anything. It was like, you're singing Nuka's on the block. It was my brother was you know eight years older than me. So he was just torturing me to torture me. I think. So. Oh my God.
2: Yeah. That was the perfect age to torture you for that. <laughs> That's hilarious. But you know, yeah, I remember being really moved by music at that age. Um, And then music was just lyrics and melody was just something that I heard my entire life. In fact, I didn't, I I heard lyric and melody so much in my head when I was little that I just assumed that everybody did. And I was at a, like a little slumber party with some friends. And we were just eight or nine years old. And, you know, we're trying to stay up the whole night. And everybody's coming up with ideas and things as we're all just kind of falling asleep. And I said, I know what we can do. Let's play those. Let's sing those songs that we write in our heads. And everybody just stopped and looked at me. And I was like, you know, the ones that you make up in your head, the those songs. And they all just looked at me. And I think that was the first time I realized, wait, you don't do that? You know, like I just so I that, too, can choke me up because I've always felt like definitely that that I knew from a young age what my calling was. And I knew uh, that music was something that was just given to me because it didn't feel like I I felt and I feel it all the time when a song arrives and it it wants to speak to me and it wants me to be the conduit and it wants me to, you know, there's a lot of different ways, you know, that, that songs happen. Because uh, you can go into the writing sessions on Music Row with the artists and you know, just kind of have a conversation and start talking about something and think it might be a good subject and run with it. And then there's other times for me personally uh, where songs just land on my lap or I just hear them or I literally will have to go get my guitar or piano. Just sit down because the song's almost bugging me, like tapping me on the shoulder like, oh, I really want to be written. you know. So it's it's really neat. It's a very spiritual thing for me. but. So, uh, but I did, my parents, um, unfortunately died when I was little, both of them very tragically. And so that, um, didn't afford me the, um, you know, I didn't have my parents there to recognize really that music was something that I, I just naturally gravitated towards. And I moved around aunt, uncle, aunt, uncle, and I, you know, just by the grace of God and just completely, completely organic um, that I was just curious about. Now you know I'm not 30 years old, so I didn't have the internet in the late 80s and 90s where I could just be like, "I want to be a songwriter. How do I do that?" You know, you know yes. like they do now. They're just—I literally think they grow up and go, "What do you want to be? I want to be an artist in Nashville." All right, there you go. You know, look it up on the internet and head to Nashville. But I didn't know. I, I didn't understand. I didn't understand all of the. I didn't understand a lot of it, didn't understand what a publisher was, what an A&R person was, what a manager was, and who to talk to, and who to, I was just clueless, um, but I did know that Nashville was the mecca, and early on, you know, when I was really young, I made a few trips out to Nashville, I Just I, when I tell you that I did not know what I was doing, I would walk up and down Music Row, I would land in, Places and venues where there would be shows going on, and I just very, very organically um, learned. Until ultimately, you know, one day, you know, I packed up and I moved to Nashville, Tennessee. And even when I got to Nashville, I still didn't know everything. So I'm I'm pretty proud of the fact that everything that I've done is, you know, been very organic. And that's all of the hard lessons, all of the relationships, all of everything. It's just been super super cool
1: so when when you were um coming up did you play instruments or did you just were you writing based off melody or did you just pick up
2: well i love that question and i'll tell you why because no i um and and i don't like to talk about this a lot because i feel so blessed that i don't ever want anybody to be like oh my gosh you know that's so tragic but, but the truth of the matter was I did have a hard life you know coming up with both my parents dying and having to move from aunts to uncles and different things like that I mean fortunately I was just blessed and that I never got into any kind of trouble you know never went that direction but I I was a pretty sad girl and had a lot more on my mind than you know just thinking oh like you know taking lessons or learning how to play an instrument so for a long time I struggled in my head and heart and I, I didn't think that I was valid because I could hear lyric and melody, but I didn't play an instrument. And so I, I really struggled. I would read articles and things about, I was always drawn to, you know, music articles and stuff. And I'd read stuff about someone and I would get to the part where they've been playing this instrument since they were five or they were classically trained. And I would literally start to cry because I would think I am just not valid. And, um, I went anyway, you know, forward with my dreams and thinking I'll learn how to play, which ultimately I did. And I learned all on my own. I learned to play. I'm self-taught, you know, piano and guitar. Um, And I have a little ukulele in the corner that I'm going to pick up and start playing. (laughs) And honestly, I'd love to learn to, to play the fiddle. And when I say I'm self-taught, um, by no means is that a brag because the musicianship in Nashville is just mind-blowing. But I do, I do love the fact that I learned to play my instruments on my own, and a lot of that was facilitated by uh, the idea that I really couldn't afford to hire players. And when you get to Nashville, it's, I have either one of you been to Nashville?
1: Not, oh, yes. Just been, not been and lived in the music industry or anything like
0: that. Okay. Just,
2: a,
1: just a visitor. Yes.
2: Well, yes. It's just like in Vegas, you know, every restroom's got a swap machine, and <laughs> every, every venue in Nashville, uh, you know, has original music. And uh-huh. so the opportunity to get up and play your songs um, is just, you can do that seven nights a week in Nashville. Um, you can do open mics, you know, right on up to some of the more prestigious um venues that you you work your way up into um but i so i wanted to play so bad and i wanted to play every night that i was out there because i was just so grateful that i'd finally gotten to music row got to nashville where my soul my heart my absolute being felt at home there and i felt like wow like i don't have to explain my dream to anyone here because we all kind of have that same dream and um but i could not afford to have people play the guitar for me so I went into a uh, national new and used music store and sort of had a checklist, you know, of like, well, I know that I have to have a guitar with a pickup on- in it. And I know that it's got to have a tuner because I can't tune by ear. And sure enough, I walked out of that store with a Martin Triple O that did not have a tuner or um, a pickup in it. Because <laughs> I... Right away, I just, that instrument spoke to me. I fell in love with it. You know, I just had to have it. That's and funny. so that's just, that's just funny to me. But I, I literally. completely
1: understand what you just said. Do you said. still
0: have that guitar?
2: Uh, well, no, that, that's, a, that's another, you guys don't want to go into all my stories. I'm telling you, we'll be here all day. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> but I, I, at some point during my <laughs> early years in Nashville, you know, things got hard before they got better. And, um, I had to pawn that guitar one time and, uh, I, it's, it's a, it's a crazy story with a beautiful ending. Uh, because I miss that guitar so much. I literally had to pawn that guitar so that I could pay my rent. And I had to save at least three or $400 from that to buy another guitar. And I thought, well, I'm not going to be able to buy anything much. It's probably going to sound bad, but it's going to look good. So I got <laughs> green, foam, green fender. <laughs> <laughs> I thought if I can't sound good, maybe I can look good. <laughs> and um, I played that blue guitar, and I swear there was—I think—I think at that time, my first Facebook account, and this is no joke. I had like two thousand friends on my Facebook, and shot up to like five thousand. Everybody, everybody just knew me as the girl with the blue guitar.
3: And it played
2: out so much, so it's kind of funny that blue guitar, which I. Still have. In fact, I just brought it from Nashville uh, to Florida to hang it in my office in Florida. Um, But I played the heck out of that thing. And I just tried so hard to pretend that it didn't sound like a traveling guitar. (laughs) 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 Or I just kind of catered my sound to the traveling guitar sound. I don't know. I
3: just
2: did what I had to do when I had that guitar. And fast forward, you guys, years and years later, I meet... Uh, just a couple years ago, this gentleman named Ed Rice, who is a um, luthier, and he custom makes guitars. Mm-hmm. And he uh, messaged me one day and said, hey, so referred me to you. And long story short, he said, I want to make you a guitar. No
3: way. Like,
2: yeah. So <laughs> you, you know where I'm going with this, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Because he remade. He remade that triple O's in the uh, body style of Eric Clapton um, and Paul Simon. It was, um, yeah, uh, a Martin triple O, and it, it, it was a slim body.
1: And you have you have that Ed Rice luthier made guitar.
2: Yes, I have that, yeah. and he also, you know, he got the tone right for me. And it was the first time since holding my other Martin. But I just got so, pretty good, so emotional, and you guys are musicians, so you have to understand this. Um, but I had written a song called "My Old Guitar," and I wrote this song, you know, when I was just missing my my guitar so much. And I know that sounds just so crazy, but when you've come from where I came from, and you know where I am now, I mean. There were a lot of stories I told on that first, Martin, and it meant a lot to me because I learned and I played that thing until my fingers bled, and that's just the truth. I mean, the only reason I put that guitar down was because I had to. My hands were bleeding, (laughs) Um, but it was just, it was a lot of healing for me, so for Ed to make me this guitar, which I'll send you guys a picture of it. Oh, yeah. um, he asked me what I wanted to inlay on it. Did I want my name on it or anything like that? And I, I told him to just put a bluebird on it because I had, you know, spent so many years in Nashville working hard to play at the Bluebird Cafe as well. And uh, ultimately, I've you know now played the Bluebird Cafe fifteen or sixteen times and oh, regularly awesome. play the Bluebird. But that's a very special place to me. So the whole idea yes. that I would come so far, you know, with. Um, my playing with everything that I've done in Nashville and then to have this guitar I just kind of wanted a Bluebird on it Um, it's beautiful it's the exact body style, it sounds the same I feel like I have my Martin back
0: would this be a good time for the Christopher Cross story what is that? oh my god
2: thank (laughs) you, see I knew that I would go down a different (laughs) (laughs) and it was at the
1: Bluebird Cafe wow (laughs) Brad you're good man
2: (laughs) Yeah, Brad. He's good, We're Melissa. He's so awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when I got out to Nashville, I kind of vowed that I would not do, I was going to try and not do anything but get a job in the music industry because I'd spent so many years of my life not, you know, working in the music industry and wanting to so bad. Um, I just about went broke on that. And then I thought, you know what? I, I got I to gotta get a job waiting tables or something. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so um, – I was gonna. I was supposed to start waitressing at this little PF Chang's, and the very night that I went to start PF Chang's on West End, caught fire and burnt down. And so I sat there in the parking lot, going, "You got to be kidding me!" I so I couldn't start my job at PF Chang's. But I had gotten a phone call the very next morning um, from a temp agency that said, "We're gonna. You're gonna." You, you're going to have a job at great American country, the video network. And I was so excited. Like before she was even off the phone, I was thanking God. I was like seeing my career there. I'm going to just work there. And She said, don't get excited because it's only for three days. Um, three days turned into several years. And, um, one of the things that I love to do when I get off work, um, the GAC was right on Music Row I was on my way home. I'd like to stop in the Bluebird when I could. Now you can hardly get in there at all. But one night in particular I was like, gosh, I haven't been to the Bluebird in forever and I and I just went in and um I couldn't believe I got a seat in one of the Pew Seats. But you guys have probably never been to the Bluebird but I've,
1: I've played uh, the Bluebird once. I've been.
2: Oh you have played yeah, the Bluebird. Oh, yeah, so yeah. know, there's these little seats. There's not many no. and then there's few seats in the back. I had no idea who was playing, but I walked in and I sat down. And the, literally the moment I sat down, he started, Christopher Cross started playing sailing.
1: No way. Oh, wow.
2: <laughs> and I want to tell you, to did you hear cry? him. To, yeah, of course I did. I was like, God, I'm so <laughs> I'm scared. to be
3: here. It's sad.
2: <laughs> I mean, that took me all the way back to three years old. And, and talk about a full circle moment. That was crazy. And he was about six feet you know six to eight feet from me singing oh, wow. in the round, and he sounded just as pristine as the record is what i remember and really? i realized in that moment my gosh you know they call it music city i call it magic city but yeah that's my christopher cross story and that's, amazing.
3: that's
0: a great story
1: magic city i like that
0: so um guitar was the first instrument you learned before piano
2: yeah ironically though i grew up in a house um my grandmother played piano and she played wonderfully well i mean like liberace i mean she was great um but by the time i you know had moved in with my grandmother she was a little older and she didn't play as much and so i would kind of putz around on the piano and she showed me some things but she never she never really taught me she just would you know sometimes sit down and say well play this and play that, So, but I mostly just would sit down. But I didn't, you know, for whatever reason, you know, I didn't learn to play. I could play, like, one or two things. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, because of Nashville, I ended up essentially learning to play the guitar before actually learning, you know, to play the piano. But I love to sit down at the piano. Love, love, love.
1: How much, because you really started playing guitar once you moved to Nashville, right?
2: That's exactly right. So
1: So how much did it change your writing and the way you wrote? And what, like what you, you know, because I always look at it as music is this language. And the more vocabulary you add, the more you can speak the language. So adding that guitar to the mix, how did it change your songwriting?
2: Well, to be very honest with you. So, it was kind of like the opposite and I didn't allow it to happen, but uh because I was very limited, like I was teaching myself chords and I couldn't quite hit those bar chords and stuff yet, I felt limited because mm. i I did not want to limit my songs to just you know g c d yeah. like I didn't want to stay in the circle of its yes. yeah no C sharp
1: minors B. <laughs> yeah, nothing <laughs> crazy in there
2: <laughs> right so so what I would find is they would be frustrating mm. um kind of like learning a language, you know, trying to say this, but you don't quite have the vocabulary is a good way to put it. But I would never, ever, ever sacrifice the melody for the fact that I didn't know what that chord was. I'd find that chord, you know, it, it, so it was a, it was a challenge. Um, so sometimes I would just be like, you know what, I, I can't, I, this is the way that the song's going to go. And sometimes I would just go in um, and say, well, you know, in the very beginning, you know, I would still chart with a producer or something because I just I didn't want it to be. I would rather just lyrically sing the melody out if I couldn't figure out the chords. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yes. yes. But now, you know, um, I've obviously gotten better, and um, you know, now a lot of times, uh, gosh, you know, the song writes itself a lot of times. You know.
1: it sounds like you know, I depending on how you write, you might have a different process. All the time, I, I tend to have a million different ways that stuff comes to me. But is most of your the your writing driven by your melody, or is it kind of up in the air to whatever hits you first? Because you you were speaking earlier about you know kind of when you can catch an idea and just feel like you're the one writing it down. There's a there's a book called The War of Art by David Pressfield that talks about uh, being the muse to art and just getting out of the way sometimes. Um, yes, so it. it is your stuff written with the melody or is it kind of just everywhere dependent
2: well there's no specific rule or way um a lot of times yeah melodies you know i think it's just my whole life i would just hear lyrics and melodies i rarely would hear just a melody to be honest with you you know usually, and i would rarely ever hear just a lyric it would be the lyric and the melody, some form of it. It may not be the chorus. It, it may be a line in the song, but the song would just show up in some way. So that's for me personally when I'm writing. Um, you know, there's obviously lots of times by default. My gosh, since you and I, I mean, the first three minutes that we were on the phone, my right hand. Was scribbling extra shot under song titles on my notepad because you, <laughs> I said something to you guys. I mean, I'm telling you, it's like it's it's like an automatic thing that my brain just does. You know, as a songwriter, you're just so dialed in every single second to conversations or something that's being said. Um, so there's that. A lot of times, you know, my, my probably like you, um, Neil. My phone is just full of voice memos and ideas. And, and then in my notes, uh, song titles, because sometimes, you know, I'll just, somebody will say something and I'll think, Oh, that could be cool. There's something in that could be a cool hook. And so for pages, it goes on in my notes and for pages, melodies and ideas go into my phone on my voice memo. And I, I feel like, it's interesting because I feel like some songs, you know, I might have an idea in there from two years ago that tomorrow gets written in a session because mm-hmm. now was the time for that idea.
1: Yeah, it's funny you say that. You can't, uh, if, you, <laughs> if you record on your phone all the time like I do and, and you do, you can't be the one in the group that has your bluetooth connected to the speaker and your stuff on random because all of a sudden it'll be you saying this sentence or saying singing some random melody it, 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 you know some line you're like oh nobody was supposed to hear that but me for like the next six years
2: you no know, that's funny that's true and i often thought too like you know if something happened to me suddenly somebody get a good laugh i mean <laughs> out of a lot of that stuff that's in there because there's times that I'll go back and it, I swear if it wasn't that I know it's my voice, I would swear that it's not me. I'm like, what, <laughs> what was that idea? And why did <laughs> I think to put that in my phone? Clearly that sucks, you know, but, um, <laughs> and there's other times I'll be so surprised. Like I'll, I'll hear something and go, Oh my God, that's awesome. And I'll think the same thing or, you know, I'll, I'll have, songs running through on my desktop from the catalog of rhyme partners and i'll be listening to a song and i'll start to think oh my god this is i love this song and and i'll keep waiting for that next line to try and remember what song was this god i hope it's mine god i hope it's mine you know know, i'll get to the hook and be like yes that's a song that i wrote or i was a writer on yes Uh, (laughs) i'll remember that but
1: yeah, I love the good surprises. Every now and again, you'll be listening. Go, I don't remember when I did that, but that is really
2: cool. I like that. <laughs>
1: <Okay>. <laughs> Those are good. So, Brad, what's
2: what's your story with music? Are you just uh, a music lover? There, uh,
0: I, w- I would call my story with music. Uh, I'd say I'm a hobbyist. It's, <laughs> it's more of a hobby to me. Uh, mm, it used to, it it's becoming it's becoming probably bigger than a hobby now, uh, <laughs> yeah. but. I don't know. It's just something that's always, always come back to it in some form or fashion. And I've gone through spells in my life, really just one where I did a lot of songwriting. I wouldn't call myself a songwriter, but you know, trying to get back into that a little bit now and have this home studio going and wanting, to, trying to decide how far I want to take it. So it's a. I would still say i'm
1: a hobby well is that a word hobbyist (laughs) yeah you might be but here's the thing about him melissa his hobbyist is most people's like i'm going to start taking this serious as like a semi-profession because that's (laughs) that's how he does hobbies you know we're sitting in a studio that he he created and built in his in his house that's perfect for um home recording and and semi-professional and getting bands in here so it's it's Wow! As an outsider, I will say he's he's exceeded that he will not say he's a musician or a writer, but I think that he approaches it in a different way, uh, especially with the engineering and stuff, as far as being the guy behind the scenes and hearing things and tweaking them and and and. that's awesome. in, yeah engineering and production and that that's where and this is the cool part about it and probably the reason listen that he doesn't do, is because it's new to him he's really just flipping that switch right now because he's been in a career path where he had to be you know focused on one thing and now he's kind of flipping a switch and getting interested so deep into this that he's becoming a, a musician in his own
3: right <laughs> yeah. well,
2: that's so cool well listen you know that's the one thing i try to tell people i've mentor and um try to encourage writers and artists and just anybody in the industry or just in business all the time is to say that you know it's completely okay to just take it at your pace to be where you are to not compare yourself to others just like everything because if you do that, I mean I always say that comparison is the thief of joy. Because I believe that because I'll see so many talented writers or artists, you know, comparing themselves to someone else at their level or what they are or aren't doing. And I am like the poster child for not learning not to compare. Because if I compared, I would have just gone back home. I mean, the talent is unbelievable. But I knew that I was supposed to be in the music business i knew this is what i was made to do in life and i just had to figure out you know how to find my place and do what i do well um you know and just find what it is i'm unique about i i work with artists all the time who you know some of them have incredible voices that would shatter a glass ceiling and then others have beautiful voices that are meant to be on like a coffee shop circuit. They don't want to be giant entertainers on a stage. And so not every single artist or the journey of every single writer, band, musician is the same. the The biggest key ingredient to success, I believe, is um, to, you know follow your I mean, yes, look around. Yes, you want to stay accountable. Yes, you want to improve. Yes, you want to learn. You want to grow, but you don't want to compare yourself. You just, you just don't want to. I mean, I'm 22 year olds saying like, I'm not. I haven't made it. I might as well go home. You know why? Because Taylor made it when she was 14. So they think that they're old. <laughs> Throw in the towel, but you know. And so, a lot of it is mental perspective. There's just so much more to owning who you are and being a success and being a star than just be you know you can play your instrument well and you have a good voice it's the entire mental perspective it's that confidence and you know you know we could just go on about that but um i definitely had to learn that because you know i had to get to the point where i was really proud of the things that i had done and, and where I'd come and not really compared myself, but just really own and know what my talents were and what I brought to a session and, and, and who I am. And I love the fact that, you know, I started Rhyme Partners. I ultimately um, started Rhyme Partners back in 2013. Um, and it, it's, it's been a beautiful challenge. I mean, I've learned so much. My gosh, you know
1: could you write that down, please? Beautiful challenge on your paper underneath uh, extra I shot. Please. Thank you. <laughs>
2: um, but I, if you guys, you know, there's so much about my story in so many different directions I could take off on. But if you have some specific questions or if you kneel being um, in a band or being a writer, you know, you have my ear and you want to ask me some questions. I am more than happy, you know, to, to um, give you my knowledge or just to, talk to you you guys about that or if you feel like your listeners there might be some burning questions um out there and they you guys have music a songwriter and a publisher we
0: definitely have some questions first going back to was it great american country
2: yeah gac was
0: that where you learned or you built your capacity to open something to the scale of rhyme partners
2: Let me tell you, I I wasn't necessarily thinking that at all at the time. Um, I'm glad you asked me about Great American Country because I cultivated some of my best friendships to this day working there. And Great American Country is owned by Scripps Networks, and Scripps Networks owns like HGTV, the Food Channel, and they're actually based out of Knoxville, so... A couple years back they took their their Great American Country video network off Music Row and they're just back in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, but back before so many things became reality TV, Great American Country was known for playing the Opry every Saturday night, you know, for years and we, oh, wow. we had that big presence of playing the Opry on Great American Country. And um, at the time, Ed Hardy, who was um, he was the president of, or the CEO of um, GAC, he just wasn't really wanting to go in that direction that uh, MTV and CMT were going, which was the reality TV. So he hung in there as long as he could, you know, with the contract with the Opry and stuff. But like everything, you know, things change in Great American Country, you know, they've changed their platform, um, but they, they're they still wonderful, they're great. Um, but so having said that, a lot of the executives that worked at Great American Country then took other jobs on Music Row over like, for example, um, at CMA offices and, and working independently as radio promoters or just whatever they're doing Um Uh, maybe Sirius XM you know some of the talent that was there at GAC Stormy Warren and Buzz Brainerd they're now at Sirius XM um but I I was fortunate in that those people became my friends and no I really just wanted to I wanted to just write songs full-time and you know without going into too much of it um It's a challenging thing to do. I mean, even some of the biggest hit songwriters, you know, they're um, out of a deal. You know, they don't necessarily have deals. And so I was looking around at some of the indie publishing companies and stuff. And honestly, I'm just going to be real honest with you and tell you that ignorance was bliss. At some point, I just thought, you know what? I can just start my own publishing company. And this way, I'll ensure myself always a job in the music industry well let me tell you <laughs> I, I it's just necessity has bred invention and we joked earlier about you know um, just anything we can do with a song <laughs> we mm. can place it I literally had to teach myself multiple multiple income streams you know because I um, you know I didn't in in the early stages it's just me and even now I mean I didn't entertain Um, big investors uh, of the million dollar kind because knowing what I know now my gosh you know I I was absolutely crazy to start you know publishing a company at the level that I did but it worked and so um, but knowing what I know now I think I would have been scared and just ran but there's there's publishing companies that start up on music road no less than four or five million dollars to get started um, and even sometimes they, you know, fizzle out after five or six years. So I'm, I'm absolutely proud of what I've been able to do. Mainly, um, we fell into this, we just naturally fell into this niche market, uh, because at the time I started Rhyme Partners, all of the, the, um, American Idols and, um, all of those television shows were starting to have artists on and whether they, you know, were the winners of the top five or the top 20, so many of them, you know, they got that exposure on national television, and they didn't know what to do with it. And they they couldn't just walk into the labels, not all of them, but they found a home with Rhyme Partners. We were right on Music Row and a lot of those um, very talented artists and vocalists came off the shows and moved to Nashville, Tennessee. And we just got a reputation for being that that place where they could get great songs. I mean, honestly, quality songs as they would, you know, with some of the writers over um, Warner or or Sony. And so things were happening with the music that we were writing with them, you know, and they were working hard. And so we just kind of became this place where a lot of that talent um, came to. And so we've, we've worked with a lot of those people that have come off of American Idol and the other shows um, and some of them, you know, went on to have pretty good careers, and uh, some of them are just still out there doing it independently, and some of them, you know, are no longer doing it. But the other thing that we did was we made a name for ourselves. Wow. Really proud of this, honestly. It's, it's it still blows my mind. But we call them um, our music royalty babies because we have. Let's see, we have had cuts with Hank Williams Jr.'s daughter. We've had cuts with Johnny Lee's uh, daughter. We've had um, cuts with the Oak Ridge Boys, their son, Chris Golden. Um, we This week coming out, um, Allie Colleen, who's uh, Garth Griffith's daughter, oh, wow. is, uh, she's releasing uh, two singles, not one, but two. She's doing a really cool thing. Um, she's releasing a two-pack, and it's essentially – one story told in two songs and I wrote one of those songs with her and it's called a road you take. And so that'll be coming out this week. Um, congratulations. And so thank you. So it's like side a and side B. So side a is uh, just, it's like old school. I thought it was a brilliant idea that she came up with. And, and it was because when she'd written the first song, um, it's basically called best friend, but the hook is nobody breaks a heart like a best friend you know, it was about, uh, it was a true story about something she'd been through with her best friend, but she never really resolved that. And, and it's just by fate or just timing or whatever it was. When she and I got together to write, I had a hook and I had an idea um, and it was um, forgiveness ain't a line you cross, it's a road you take. And so we sort of talked about that journey since she'd had a fallen out with her best friend and we shaped the song Um, and it's called A Road You Take. So it's a really cool thing that she's doing by releasing the story of Best Friend, this song, and then Side B is A Road You Take. Um, So it's really exciting, and that's happening. But all that to say that it's been a tremendous honor to have the children of these, you know, music royalty. Royalty babies.
1: (laughs) Royalty babies, I love it
2: royalty babies yeah like, you know and they're so talented they really are i mean they just got that running in their butt ali colleen is just amazing she's Garth's youngest daughter and um, i played the bluebird cafe with her because ed um, rice had also made her a guitar and um and he made another friend of mine uh, jimmy charles who actually is the reason that ed got in touch with me um he made a guitar for him, and we all decided, you know, to put together a Bluebird show and honor him. And he came from North Carolina. oh and that's just, awesome! Yeah, it was a great night, but it was really, I was really struck. I mean, I'll be really honest with you. I was just, I'd heard Allie, and I thought, well, you know, I mean, she sounds really good. You know, I wasn't just. I was pretty blown away at the Bluebird show. Let's just say that I was like, wow. Like she's very talented. She's very good. She's very spirited. I just love love her. So we just instantly connected and and got along. And so I'm super excited that you know we were able to write a song that day that um, just sort of helped tell the rest of her story and was also healing. And I got to tell you, I hope that it's going to be healing for a lot of people. You know, because it's just not the opposite sex that breaks our hearts sometimes. Sometimes it is a best friend or a family yeah. member or whatever. So you know, whatever you can point to that's that's what that's all about but um so you know we just sort of focus on on the up-and-comers a lot and I know for me personally I thought well you know I don't ever plan on leaving Nashville I want to do this for the rest of my life so instead of you know investing so much time just trying to get that massive cut and they've got those relationships we'll just kind of We'll do that. We'll still pitch to all the majors, and we've had, had some wonderful songs cut, um, but it's been wonderful, too, just focusing on all the up-and-comers because it'll be nice to see you know, who goes all the way.
1: And so in 2013 uh, is when you started the company, right? hmm And you talked about developing streams of revenue. How hard was it in that climate of 2013 figuring out where revenue streams were coming from in the music industry?
2: It was hard. I would definitely say that, you know, people who, people might, they might underestimate the amount of work that goes into owning a publishing company because you literally have to figure out how to collect revenue streams from all over the world. And it's it's just not easy. There's so many different organizations to join and try to keep track of. Um, and, you know, with streaming, just really coming into play at that time it was just a sad sad thing you know to go oh my gosh and and not being a big player like the major labels where i wasn't able to strike deals with spotify and and all those big companies i there were times where i just thought you know man i mean unless we just get and even radio just does not produce what it did it is just so when you look at the pie and you look at how much how much revenue and how much um, how much people are listening to streaming? There's just such a tiny slice of the pie left for radio. Streaming yeah. is just what everybody does, you know, on their their phones and stuff. So I remember getting discouraged because I've always been a CMA member, and they're very great about um, providing data to their members every single year about the music industry. And even though sometimes that stuff just goes right over my head. Like I I try to listen intently and I try to learn and I try to think about my little boutique company and what direction I can go because of it. Um, So essentially, what I had to figure out was I had to create opportunities. You know, I can write songs. I can write jingles. I literally had to just write music and then try to pitch it to brands and stuff like that. And I've had some success, you know, I mean, if you just, sort of sit back and wait, you know. <laughs> There's always the magical phone call or email you get where somebody has discovered a song or it's out there or it's been sitting on another desk of another publisher or, you know, it was written with an artist and their publisher pitched it and it's going to get cut. And But you can't count on that stuff. You just have to really go out there. And so I, I expanded Rhyme Partners. I'm still expanding Rhyme Partners. I got into you know, the branding and the jingles and the sinks and putting songs and pieces of songs and commercials and, and television shows. And you and so that's all upfront money. That's all sync money that you have coming in. Um, the licenses for all of the artists that we write with. And, and there was a time when it was just hundreds of artists, you know, that we are just writing. So you can imagine, I hmm. joked, and I used to call it low-hanging fruit, but the truth of the matter is, even if they were $1,500 licenses, multiply that times 50, people. And you've just got that revenue coming in, um, for those smaller licenses. So I never take anything for granted, mm-hmm. you know, whether I can strike a deal that pays me thousands of dollars or it's just the hundreds of dollars or the lesser amounts coming in, you know, it all counts. And I'm always constantly trying to create different things. I started booking venue, uh, uh, venues out in California even, and working with people out there and then just through providing them with great talent and just really fulfilling their specific needs, you know, whether it's a birthday party or a corporate event or whatever it is, just, you know, just really doing a good job of making them happy. They'll usually come back to me. And, and once again, it's like because I've cultivated relationship, if if it's not an artist that I work with directly at rhyme partners, but it's an artist that I, you know, know who they work with, then I make that connection for them. And, um, so yeah, you know, you, you just have to keep things rolling in in all different directions to survive.
0: So listening to you talk, I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of, uh, a lot of things happening at Ryan partners. You know, you talk about, it sounds like there's songwriting, there's coaching and mentoring, career guidance, maybe a little event planning and brand marketing and um, you guys have a lot of, uh, branches. Is, is this, is this all you, how many people are involved in coaching and are the different departments and different songwriters?
2: I do have, so there's a couple of trusted people that I know that if I'm not available to do um, a coaching session with an artist or something, yes, I do have a couple people that are, I, I will refer them to, I will give them to them if I'm not available. Um, and then what I have is, um, I have people who work for me, yes, in part time capacities or independent contractors. I, you know, have a, wonderful girl now that I'm working with that's doing a lot of graphic designs work and different things for me and creating posters and doing stuff like that. And she's just brilliant. And I'm so blessed, you know, to get that kind of help, but you, you really do have to delegate, you know, you have to reach for help, whether, you know, there have been times just depending on the situation where I've had, you know, someone on in more of a full-time capacity a little bit longer, but, um, I just, It kind of fluctuates depending on what I need. Now, when we do large campaigns for an artist to say an artist is going to release a song and they want to put together a campaign and they want publicity and they want, you know, to try to get on as many playlists as possible, then that requires definitely a team effort. And I put that all together and we hire all the necessary people. But it is a lot of um, hiring per project type of thing. Just kind of depends on what it is that I need and what's going on. So
0: you talked about streaming, and it's come up a lot on this, uh, this podcast, you know, independent artist, you know, living in a world where it's easier than ever to get your music out there available to everyone, but harder than ever to get people to hear your music because it's so saturated. You know, marketing your, your material and making it something people want on their playlist is big business right now.
2: Absolutely. Or just getting on those playlists that, you know, are the more popular playlists, whether it's pop music, country music, or whatever genre of music, there's certain playlists that honestly, I don't really like to use the word monopolize, but I can't come up with a better word right now. But they kind of dominate and monopolize that market. So there's several country music playlists that, you know, um, the editors at Spotify, you know, they, they determine if that song it's going to get put on that playlist and there's a lot of factors involved with that too. I mean, sometimes they just will do it because they love the song. Um, you know, they come across it, but a lot of times it's the relationships with the labels and, and getting those streams up for those label artists, you know, that it's going to take to generate a certain kind of revenue. Um, so it can be, it can be very daunting. It can be scary. It can be all those things, but, I think if you just, if it's what you're made to do and you've got to put your music out there, you're going to find, you just got to keep doing it. You're going to find your audience, but you've got to be proactive. And I always, I've always had, you know, this saying, which I'm sure by now lots of people have said it, but I've always said you can't stop a hit. And I believe that. I believe that a song is going to find its home. You mean you may have to write four or five hundred songs before that happens. Um, you may not. You know, it might be the first five songs you've ever written. I mean, that's what makes it Magic City. That's what you know makes it all such a, a beautiful, crazy ride. Um, because you just hear stories of people who've been in Nashville for you know nine years, ready to hang it up and go home, and then they get a number one Jason Aldean smash hit. You know, and now they're like, wow. <laughs> so I'm crazy, but i I know for sure that you just you can't give up yeah i think I think that the surest way is just not to give up,
0: so you uh so you never sleep
2: <laughs> I do actually you know I get help from my husband too. he's just so great with numbers and stuff and <laughs> so but when we first got together, that was something he noticed is that I really didn't have a schedule
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I'm thinking you probably have to be available, you know you have to be really flexible in your availability to artists and clients and probably hard to say, but what does a typical work day look like for Melissa?
2: Well, now, now it's different. I mean, I say that and it's 7 o'clock and we're on a podcast, right?
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, but it is different now because I did learn and I and it was good for me and he really helped me with that. He was like, you've got to shut it down at a certain time. There's, there's definitely, you know, no hard, fast rule because it just kind of depends on what's going on or the project and hopefully a lot of times it's something exciting and so you want to be doing it. But um, I do have to make a conscious effort not to return a text message Message if it comes in late, because a, it's just it's late and I'm tired. But b, I kind of need for people to understand. You know, I, I they gotta text me or call me at a decent time. <laughs> Set the boundaries. You know. Set
1: some boundaries. Yeah, right?
2: <laughs> yeah. You, you just you have to do that. But it's just I could just. There's so many wonderful things. I I do feel blessed. I will tell you that it has been. I'm not gonna lie. It's a lot of work. A lot of hard work. And there are days where you think. This is not paying off. I'm insane. I wish somebody would have told me, but even if somebody would have told me, you know, I would have taken this path. <laughs> I would have done it. And, um, I, I just love the situation I'm in now because I, I love the fact that, you know, I can't, I can reach out and save other people time. And maybe I can make those contacts for them that, you know, they are not able to make. And so for a long time, I would spend a lot of my time meeting someone at a coffee shop or on the phone. And I literally, literally got to a point where I had, I just, it made sense to start charging for the consulting for a couple reasons. Um, The biggest reason was it really sorted out the people who were very serious about their careers and investing in themselves. And also who really respected the journey I've been on in the time and the relationships that I had. because you know, right away when you tell someone, well, this is what I charge for consulting. And I take it very seriously. When somebody wants to consult with me, I mean, there's a a pretty in-depth questionnaire. I want to get down to, hey, where do you feel stuck? Or what do you want out of this? Or what can we do? I want you to walk away with more than you even imagined that you might get from me. And in some rare cases, and I say rare because I can't just utilize you know, some of my biggest contacts at labels and stuff just for every single artist that comes through the door. But if there's something really special, I will go out on a limb and I will contact somebody, you know, at a label. I can't control the outcome. I can't control whether they're going to see them. But, um, in the past I have walked a few people into the record labels and stuff. So I value those relationships. They trust me. I trust them. Um, but real quick, you know, if someone just says, well, get back to you or I maybe mean, there's the reality that some you know people can't just afford it but nine times out of ten the ones that make it a priority to because let's face it it's like any other business that you start you have to invest in yourself as an artist it's a business it's your career it's you 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 know it's part of um figuring it all out so um, I it's been really nice because then it frees up more of my time to get my work done. And I just have a giving heart and I love to encourage people. So I had to really watch myself because I really want to help everybody. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's nice now to get paid for it and also see the ones who, now that they've invested their money and their time, they just tend to take everything more at heart and they're the ones that I really see the results with so it's just kind of a win-win all the way around
3: do you
1: have more um, my, my probably more questions would be towards the songwriting stuff because yeah. you know you got a lot of like you said 22 year olds that are a bit wide-eyed and coming down into Nashville and ready to either make it or break it and by 25 we're ready to roll because they haven't made it yet but a lot of times um, are looking for songs and stuff so as a songwriter, that is, how do you get that stuff into someone's hands, like yourself, that can listen to it and go, "Hey, I can work with you," or this or that, or are you? Is there an avenue for that? How do you go about getting songs out there these days? I guess
2: I'm going to tell you, Neil. I'm going to give you some very, very valuable information, and this is what I did, you know, um, still do. And I'm going to tell you right now, There, you probably have heard of NSAI, the Nashville Songwriters Association mm-hmm. International. Yeah. So there's NSAI, but there's also GSC, Global Songwriters Connection. I would encourage you to be members of both and to use those services. Your songs, when, when you send in a song for a critique there, when you send in a song for a pitch to a publisher – you are your song is getting heard by major publishers on Music Row they really really are and it may seem like a bottomless pit you may have to spend some money and you may have to submit some songs and stuff like that but i'm telling you if it's a good song they're going to snatch it up they're going to call you they're going to tell you hey man i like this song um if i had to choose if i were you and i had to to choose one or the other, it would be really, really tough because both organizations are really great for navigating songwriters. And I'm, How familiar are you with NSAI?
1: I'm just, I'm a member of uh, ASCAP, so I mean, I, I've, I've touched the surface of all that stuff just to kind of dip my toes in to see what it's about, but I have not dug into anything.
2: So you're not a member of NSAI then? No. So it's a whole different ball game when you're a member and you're kind of keeping up and you're watching and you're what we're talking about right now, you know, just music and I do not know what you're doing with your podcast. Um, but you can literally, especially now with everything being virtual, you can get in these interactive chat rooms. You can get in these pitch to publishers, global songwriter connection, um, I can follow up with an email I think to be a member of um, global songwriters, is maybe $50 a year. And then there's other services that you have to pay for, but she has single handedly signed, I don't know, 50, a hundred deals for writers. Um, She puts songs and songwriters in front of the right people. So it's, it's no joke. I'm not kidding you. when, Publishers like myself, the challenge is, and you may think, well, I'd rather go that route than GSC or NSAI, but you're you're completely wrong. And I'll tell you why, because we have so many songs in our catalog, in the catalog songs that we own the publishing to that your song may or may not even meet that bar. So you're competing, you know, with these songs that I have in, in my catalog with these hit songwriters every single day are, are blowing out. And, and I'm trying to find opportunities for those songs. Now, that's not to say that, you know, if I don't absolutely love your song and it fills a void of something that I don't have, that I wouldn't say, you know, call you up and say, listen, I'm going to pitch this. But the reality is having everything that we just talked about, you know, I have to try and capitalize on the songs that I own the publishing to or you know, if someone is willing to give up some of their publishing um, for a song to get placed in something, but when you're independent and you're just trying to get your music out there, really, or you're just independent in terms of like not living in Nashville, mm-hmm. Global Songwriters Connection GSC, and that community, and you get familiar with everything that Charisse Foltore offers, it's just mind blowing. It is my, I mean, you, she even offers. Um, very personalized, um, week-long camps where you come down. I mean, and age is not – it doesn't matter. I mean, it's 30, 40, 50, 60-year-olds. It does not matter. Um, But you come down, and for four or five days, you are writing with hit songwriters, the songs that you know and you've heard and you've played or you you know of. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, you have to be selected because your song has to be at a certain level type thing. Um, but she does every single month. She does pitches to publishers. She'll do pitches, you know, because you might have, like I was listening to your song Rocket. Was that something you wrote?
1: Oh, yeah. Thank you.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: So I was listening to that. I I thought the production was great. I thought your vocal delivery was great. I I was, I I, my mind just listening as a publisher to that song was, um, I'd see that a little bit more commercial in something, I don't know exactly what in listening to it from a songwriter's perspective and a publisher, I was a little, I I got a tad bit confused about the lyric. I couldn't, I couldn't understand if you were metaphorically in the beginning, like you were like, as a metaphor, you were a rocket. And I I also couldn't understand if you were a rocket because of this new love in your life or this newfound freedom. So I was Mm. getting kind of confused with the storyline Mm -hmm. In the chorus, can you tell (laughs) me about that song?
3: (laughs) Yeah, well, you
1: know, honestly, it was more... um, I tend to write for more emotion than than, uh, anything, so it was probably more tends to be about like a last message to a loved one as you're dying, basically. Hey, if I can't ever say anything to you again, and this is it, I want you to know that I love you, that all these, you know, just basically... That I will come back, that everything that I've uh, gathered and pictured and, and that I see in the afterlife, I'm gonna do everything I can to at least give you a sign that everything's good. I'm still okay. Uh, well,
2: that's a beautiful sentiment. And I don't yeah. feel so bad for not fully being able to understand that because yeah. um, that's a perfect example of a writer writing from an emotional point that he knows what he's mm-hmm. writing about, but the writer doesn't necessarily. So if I did you write that by yourself?
1: Yeah, oh yeah.
3: Yeah, I so I would, by myself.
2: You know, I don't I don't want to say this to um, tell you that there's anything wrong with your song because it's out there and it's beautiful and you just leave it as it is. But I can tell you, as a pro writer, if you come to me with that idea, I would have shaped it a little bit more to where the listener um, still got that emotion, but took it to another level of understanding just that sentiment you told me. Like if you said, this is what I want to say, mm-hmm. Cool. you know. So because I was a little bit lost, I was, like, struggling to figure out what the song was about. But that's okay. It doesn't matter. I mean, (laughs) we know. I mean, I think more importantly there is your delivery and the production, you know. So I'm just naturally, being a publisher and a songwriter, going to, like – Nitpick apart a lyric, you know, because that's just what I typically do. But overall, I would say, you know, you don't have to rewrite it. It's wonderful. It sounds great, and I think anyway, if it's something that was used in TV or film or something like that, they would just be taking a certain section anyway. They'd be taking like twelve seconds over here or thirty mm-hmm. seconds over here. So, I mean, I'll definitely keep it in mind. It's unique and it's and it's different.
1: Oh, um, thank you. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. I, you know, and that's that's the. Um, You know that's the things that I I love about conversations like this because I don't nobody gives you feedback nobody really listens to your stuff I mean you're a publisher and and uh, a writer and other things and music is a centerpiece of your life so uh, you're like me more in the well probably even more so where it everything just captures you so you want to hear it you want to dissect and and um, so I don't get a lot of that so I really do when I finally can get some. Feedback and some uh, back and forth on stuff like that. I love it. I I really appreciate any type of uh, anything that's going to make me a better writer or make a song better. Because once it's out there, it, it's not. It's just about shaping the idea and coming up with the what right, like you said, the right way to say it to to get the message clear, clearer, or, or to create this vision.
2: I, I always like to say, you know, there are no rules. There are tools. And so there's really no rule, you know, but if your goal is that, you know, you do want somebody to understand where you don't have to, we joke in Nashville, like you don't have to put a stick it note on top of every single album, explaining the song, mm-hmm. <laughs> a sticky yeah. note. Um, but I, I, think that i I ride that line and I'm being real honest with you between the abstract and what you're wanting to say and what I might be understanding as very subjective. And so the bigger picture of all this is I want to be encouraging and not discouraging at all about your song, because I did think I would definitely give it a thumbs up, you know, I was just curious myself as to, I, I I listened to it a couple of times and I was like, I can't tell if he's leaving this person or coming back to this person or not wanting to go and go. But now when you tell me that, you know, it makes a lot more sense. Um,
1: And that one, it was such a departure from really anything I've ever written. Um, it was just a different the whole experience with writing rocket was just kind of different. it was a it was a wrestling it was crazy, but uh it was one of those ones Melissa where after you you're done you have nine different pages of lyrics, and you're trying to figure out what in the world the song is telling you you need to say and nothing yeah you know, it's just one of the it was one of those for sure
0: and I will tell you, Melissa that we had to work hard to cut that song down from just under seven minutes <laughs> to get it down I to, to it. under five. I
2: that's okay. I've been listening. I was out bike riding the other day. My I was telling like my playlist is, is anywhere from you know just new modern stuff to old school seventies, eighties, whatever. And I was listening to some Eagles, and I was like, you know what? Hey, this is a good playlist to go bike riding. These songs are like seven minutes long. You know, five <laughs> minutes. <seven> minutes <laughs> yeah. on you know, would have never technically now be on the radio with everybody fighting for radio space. but well,
1: And all our attention spans are about a minute and a half long these days, too.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's just a great reminder, again, that it's, it's just there are no rules, there are tools. And so I have songs that are like a minute and less than two minutes. You know what? There's nothing else the song wanted to say. So mm-hmm. if I want to put that on my album, I'll put that on my album. But speaking of songs, so I think what, what I'll do... If you guys would send you a couple of mine, maybe some that we touched on, please. That'd
0: sure, be, that'd yeah. be awesome. We'll play them at the end of this podcast.
1: If you wanted to send the one with uh, Ali uh, Colleen, yeah, Colleen, yeah, that would be killer. And then some of the stuff that you've done would be awesome too.
2: I'll send you guys my old guitar. So you, since yes. I told you the story of that song, yes. um, yep, absolutely. yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: Please.
2: But I've been really enjoyed talking to you guys. I'd love to, you know, come back on down the line. And if you get to Nashville, look us up.
1: I'd love to come to Nashville and just sit down with you and, and pick your brain in sometime. So I will definitely send you an email or something. We will definitely do that. Stop by and
0: see. Awesome.
2: Me. You guys both have my email. Um thanks for having me on and good luck with everything you're doing. I mean, it looks like you're rocking and rolling and taking this podcast somewhere.
0: Yeah. <laughs> we well, thank you. you. Thanks for being here tonight.
2: All right,
1: talk soon. Hey, thank you. Have a good one, Melissa. Thank you.
0: We'll see you next week, listeners.
4: Sweet, bitter tears, a few long years have come and gone since I last saw you. And I'm feeling a little nervous. A brand new But your life is still the same I'm trying to keep cool on the surface Not sure what I came here for But I left that weight at the door As bridges burn, hearts get broke But don't break even This ain't a line you cross It's a road you take And I'd be lying If I said That I'm not gonna Always love you And I'll be wishing you The best But those To hear might not come or might take years, that's too much pain on my chest, and I'm not angry anymore. The truth is, I'm still picking myself up off that floor, but bridges burn. ain't some line you cross It's a road you take
5: Chasing hope, but I've been mostly missing you I've tried and tried my best, but I'm no stranger to regret All these songs in me are all I've got for proof All the things you do when you do the things you have to Bet you've been a lot of places. Bet you broke a lot of hearts. I bet you're living in the neon. In some honky tonk that far. But apart by The cash exchange That interstate It gets me every time All the things you do When you do the things You have to I bet you've been A lot of places Bet you broke A lot of hearts I bet you're living in But You come.